it's pretty simple algebra, to be honest. Moss, why don't you? Why don't you? Yeah, this is uh, my video of uh, Pitcast Quarantine Edition, early July. Excuse me, early July, early June. <laughs> the time has ceased to matter. Link and it'll be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and we are joined by our good friends, Mr. Chris Burgesson. Hello. And Mr. Myth. What's up? The man, the myth. Uh, and then, of course, the meatball down, uh, hunkered down in his icebox in southwestern Logan Square. That's right. Got the AC unit blasting. I got a fridge going on here. Real meat lock. Position approximately one foot away from the AC unit. Oh, close. <laughs> how's, this, how's the sirens been down there, Carter? You know, I there, there were some sirens. La- you know what was the most interesting? Well, yeah. So, like, the sirens were, like went on until like 10 or 11 last night. And so as I was yeah. laying me down to sleep, I was thinking, oh boy, this is going to go on all night. But it, but, but it really yeah. didn't. But when I w- went to buy stamps today, Walgreens, no go. Oh, Other sure. Walgreens I walked to, no go. UPS store, they were like, we closed at 1 p.m. today. Yeah. So um, you know what? That Hibaritos place... Mm-hmm. On Fullerton and Kimball had their windows all boarded up yesterday. And then today, same thing like always, line out the door. People yeah. get dying. When I heard that that place, I was like, oh, come on, man. Hibaritos place, that place feeds so many people. But they also have this this indomitable spirit. I that love. was like, yeah, they probably boarded up more as a precautionary thing because I don't think too many restaurants were being smashed up. It was mostly retail around here. Yeah. Now I didn't go all the way up by you and take a look at the the Foot Locker or the Gap or the um, I think there's a Payless too. So there's there's a bunch of retail up. Oh yeah, dude, it was hit. It was gnarly. Like um, Beth went for a walk on Sunday night, Sunday afternoon. Excuse me, late late afternoon, and a couple of guys were. She was at uh, I think Diversity in Central Park and heading east. Mm-hmm. Cause she was kind of going to turning around and coming back from cause park. And a couple of guys were like, Hey, you don't want to go that way. There's people, you know, shit's going down over by the foot locker, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, man, it was picked clean. I walked by it, uh, yesterday morning, early morning. Um, and, uh, like the shelves were empty and there were empty shoe boxes rolling around in the street and on the sidewalk. And yeah, I mean, it was like a sidewalk sale. What can you do? Man. I was watching a couple of live streams the other night of just people in downtown Chicago, like walking around and it was definitely like a no like mid-level retailer shall be left untainted. And I think yeah. one of them was literally a guy that stole a police horse just riding down the street. <laughs> like, what the are you doing? He's like, wow, that's the oh, I stole a police horse. Fuck it. 
Yeah, see, now I heard that there's actually a dude that owns a horse that was riding around and people thought it was a police horse. I wonder if that's the same guy or if he actually stole. No, Because, like, if you stole a real police horse, man, he'd be up shit creek once they caught him. What are they leaving? Are the the looters leaving the small businesses alone? Maybe you good about it? Not really, no. (laughs) No, no, a lot of small. I mean, in some areas, yes, in some areas, no. Like that one camera shop down in the loop that was 120 years old, that got burned out. Like it was, it was arsoned. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that sucks. And then like, yeah, a lot of small businesses got hit, but it's a lot of read. I mean, a lot of big box stuff too. Like all the targets here around here boarded up. They're shutting but, down the targets all the way out to like decaled. It's yeah. pretty ridiculous. Like targets and best buys are just like clutching their pearls and like, no, stay away. Yeah. And I, I hadn't even made the connection that they're Minnesota based companies, Minneapolis headquartered companies. So it, I mean, uh, the, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, FU going on there. Oh man. Hey, I, I think I've talked about this place before on the podcast, maybe, but uh, have any of you guys been to the woolly mammoth up in, uh, Oh yeah, I've been there once. It's it's just like extremely niche, you know, like taxidermy and like old medical equipment based. I'm just smiling, thinking about like someone running out the door with like a stuffed two-headed sheep. <laughs> yeah, you left the door open hoping for like shoes or like Xboxes, and they're like, what the fuck? So it's just like pickled like three-headed frogs. They have like a bowl of human teeth in there. Yeah, <laughs> you could just buy like a human, a miscellaneous human tooth for like a couple bucks. Yeah, that place is great. Yeah, I'm sure if they'd been looted, that would be on the news because that would be pretty gnarly. Somebody stole the two-headed stuffed dog they got in there. <laughs> yeah, that would be insane. What about you, Myth? What do you got out there? You know, we're a little bit far from the downtown area, so it's been pretty quiet out here. Yeah. Um, we're on lockdown from 8.30 onwards. Um, and the city itself has actually been relatively orderly. Now, if you go out like further out to Oakland and stuff, then there's been some rioting, some looting. Uh, San Francisco hasn't been too bad. So, I mean, all in all, it's all right out here. But we live, we live out of suburbs, so we're a little bit detached from. No. Even around here, man, some suburbs have had seen a little bit of action. Really? Yeah, like yeah, there, there was some shit going down even in uh, even in Evanston. In Naperville, I guess, like downtown heck in Naperville of all places, like the yuppiest possible retail district, there was a couple of smash windows. <laughs> so, yeah, wild times, wild times. Indeed. So I guess, gentlemen, the reason we, we called this specific conclave was we wanted to kind of dive into uh, well this is something i've been wanting to do for a while and and we finally got the time to do it but yeah. we, we i want to dive into the world of uh hyper nicheism um and sub fetishism with uh <laughs> with uh talking about signed cards and maybe even some altered stuff too um and i know both of you guys uh myth and chris you guys both uh, are heavily into signatures and, and altars and whatnot so I, I thought you two would be kind of good to uh get on here to pick you know i could pick your brain and, and we could uh you know just nerd out on this topic a little bit yes. make it sound so much cooler <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know about that yeah, it's, cool it's, <laughs> it's cool to me it's cool to me that i thought we were going down some kind of weird dark hole about fetishism <laughs> and magic it's like you've tricked me 
Yeah, well, you that, never know. That's why you emerged from your lair. I'm down, but I want to talk the real talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we'll go long enough to where things can get really weird. Well, let's start with you, Myth. You're you're a, certainly a longtime collector. Um, what made you want to collect signatures specifically? My theory is that, you know, when somebody has like an insane collection already, they look down at their treasure trove and they think, oh, I've got it all. Like, what else can I do to make the collecting, the collecting process more difficult? <laughs> right. I mean, you're not wrong because there's that there's that rush on the collecting side of getting stuff that's rare, getting stuff that's awesome. Mm. You know, it feels kind of good to have stuff that's unique. I don't know. I went down the signature side initially just because back in the day when I was all about vintage, I mean, this was like way back. We'd run into artists all the time at events and it was just kind of cool that the cards that you were definitely playing a lot of, the cards that meant a lot to you to have the artist sign it, it just kind of became a thing. It started out with power. I think my first things I got signed were my Moxon and then it just kind of went downhill from there. And now it's at a stage where, you know, I'm definitely chasing rare signatures. I've got a lot of really rare signatures. Um, and, you, you know, at a certain point, you're down so far down the rabbit hole, you look at the rest of your cards, you're like, well, nothing all got to match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> dude. You hit that critical point, that critical mass. Yeah. And you, you look at 40% like, of your deck that's unsigned and you're like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And then you're chasing after stuff and. Yeah. So I, I definitely, you know, you, at a certain point you get on the rabbit hole and it's, it's all good, but it's, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of, um, a lot of efforts. And then the, probably the worst part is that, you know, you all, I'm often mailing cards to artists or to people who will get signatures from me. So I'll go to make a deck and I realize that like a bunch of my cards, <laughs> they're like out for signature oh, yeah. months, you know? So it's like, I don't get my stuff back. I have to like decide to play something else because I just I can't play what I want to play. You have to look at your tournament schedule for like the next six months. Like, all right, how many extra copies do I need to buy of this nonsense? Moss is feeling that pain right now, right? I think it's going to be wild to see your workshop. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, thankfully on, on all of our online nonsense events, we allow proxies because I had planned on, uh, Cam Wall out in Portland has my workshops and he was going to get them signed at Emerald City Comic Con, which of course was canceled because of coronavirus. So they're just stranded out there. And he was going to bring them back to when he was going to come to town for the Kumite event, which was in Michigan. We were going to drive out there. Of course, both of those, both of those events were wiped out. And now my cards are just stranded out in, uh, out in Portland, you know, and he now keeps, are, you, are you letting them, Play with those, or are you just, I think he uh, has. Are you, are you, do you have There's a full no letting? He's no playing with them. <laughs> like they're just gonna stare at us. Out. He's, he's like, good. Damn, you better not. He's <laughs> good. He's good for it. He's good for it. But you know, uh, you know, I think I think he did use them at a recent uh, whatever online thing. Austin's is charging that rental fee. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I should be, dude. I've cons- played. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when I'm gonna get them back. I mean, it, who knows when it's gonna be? But whatever. They're in good hands. Definitely true. You know, it's actually funny, Myth, that you mentioned getting the, like, that was my own experience, actually. The first signature that I got was Dan Frazier's signature <laughs> on my Moxon at Eternal Weekend. Oh. And, I didn't, and I didn't even think about that, but I was like, oh my God, that's, but that's like the exact experience because I was, it's kind of like going to like a tattoo convention and you're walking around and you're like, 
you know, I didn't really think about, you know, getting this writing done forever, but like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep my moxin around. Like they might as well have a signature on me. Yeah. That's the biggest piece of it too, is that, you know, walking around the event, if you didn't plan to meet up with an artist and get a signature, it's like, what do you have on you? And chances are, if you're there for an event, you've got sort of like, I was always there for vintage events or I was always playing vintage on the side. So I had my moxin with me and that was exactly the same reason I walked up with Dan and got the signature. Yeah. These cards on me, I'm going to do this. So is it through signatures and alterations that artists make the most of their money? These, at at least these old school artists that we know and love, the Tadines and Ansons and people of the world? I think at this point, it's just got to be the signatures just because now that... Um, they've adopted more of like the, the, the handler aspect of it. Um, and probably before just doing sheer volume of like, okay, SIGs are a dollar, hand me a stack of 40 cards, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, now that a lot more people are using handlers and the handlers are talking them into charging like real prices for this stuff, they're charging like three to five bucks a signature and making actual reasonable amounts of money at these big events that they go to which I'm okay with like I'll, in a lot of situations you'd be underpaying these guys for like this insane altar or something that they do. Like I know Mark Tadine, I had to my chaos orb and he just went nuts on it with like a bunch of metallic inks and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, what do you want for this? He's like, Oh, like 10 bucks. Like you just spent like 15 minutes of your time at this thing. Like, let me toss another 20 or 30 bucks your way. It's fine. Boy, that's an ethical consumption right there where you're like, I'm paying too little for this stuff, but it yeah. kind of all comes down to support, right? Yeah. And for a lot of these artists, you know, some of them have, they've got work that's ongoing. Some of them don't as much. So this is a good steady stream of revenue for them in their later years where they can, you know, actually make more revenue off of this old work of art that people love. So I'm all for it. I have seen prices though, steadily increase. Yeah. I'm wondering where sort of the ceiling is because at a certain point you just keep seeing the prices go up and up and up, which is fine. But you know you're gonna at some point you'll see you'll see pushback. Yeah, I know. Uh, Fraser has been one of the bigger ones where it's like there's a couple of conditions on signatures. Like if your card's worth like two hundred dollars or more, it's like ten dollars a sig instead of like three or five or something like that. It's like mm, okay, you can just charge that because you know we're gonna pay it. Yeah, that's I, I got I got hit with that when I had my Moxon signed at Eternal Weekend in 2017, where it was basically, I, th I think it was like ten bucks a Mox, or there was like some some deal like ten bucks. Yeah, and again, that's the the handler thing. Yeah, like, absolutely. I'm not against that because it it does kind of really enable these artists to make like a decent amount of money off of what yeah. they should be making a decent amount of money off of for. But so it, it's not like i'm that salty about it like i don't i'm not sitting there expecting okay. like i should only have to pay a dollar for this yeah i mean let's put it this way i didn't blink an eye yeah <laughs> i'm like oh, yeah, here you go so well, then you get yeah then you get into that situation right if they're all the dollar then somebody drops off like you know 120 cards from like ice age and homelands that mm -hmm. you're stuck scribbling on all after i was talking with jesper mirfers at one of the times that I hung, like I talked to him and got stuff signed and he was talking about stuff like back in the day at GPs. And, um, it was like, he was like, it wasn't a set charge per signature. It was just like 
oh, like tip if you want, but please buy my other art stuff that I have here. And of course he would have like little grinder kids hand him a stack of a hundred cards and run off without tipping anything. It's like, okay. <laughs> Part of the sordid history of MTG sweat hog grinders. Oh, yeah. I used to always try to, I used to always try to tip well and, you know, buy something when you step up at the table, whether it is uh, an alteration or a print or yeah, yeah. A card, like try to do something, right? Um, so, but I think I, I've, I remember that for years, I'd see people come up with just massive stacks. I remember watching this one guy show up. This was, you know, Dan, uh, this was, uh, Chris Rush, right? Like towards some of his final events before he passed. And uh, I remember watching one guy say, come up with like a stack, like a box, literally a box of Chris Rush cards and just like plopped it in front of him. And then I watched the guy walk away without tipping. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, that sucks. And, you know. And a lot of the artists, they just they're, they're there trying to be trying to be helpful, trying to be nice, and they're you know they're willing to sign stuff. Yep. Part of the reason I would always tip, or yeah, like like you said, myth, just buy like prints or extra stuff. It's like I felt sorry for them for having to like sit in this one spot around all of these filthy like tryhards for just <laughs> hours and hours in a Gen Con for like you know three days straight. It's just like, uh, do you need a coffee or real food or anything? I can go grab you something. You know, that's the thing that I've I've kind of wondered. Um, this is especially so with these old school artists. I, I just always thought, like, do they know how much of a celebrity they are to a good deal of old school players in general, I would say? Like, sure, at like a given GP or convention or whatever, there probably isn't that kind of adoration. But old school players are so nuts for the arts that... I know that like when Drew Tucker was at um, Chalice, for instance, like that guy was just treated like, it, it was like Mick Jagger was there. You know, everyone was trying <laughs> yeah. to talk to him, pick his brain, like get him to share stories about like, you know, the, the old days when, it, you know, you see these pictures of like the, the artists at the table in 93, they all are like young and about to embark on this project that they had, would have no idea would like shape their careers to come in a big way. Well, I mean, your old school players are like your hardcore collectors and your, uh, I mean, like, like the format itself is built on aesthetics. So it's no surprise that that we dive dive heavily into the art and go gaga for the artists. I do I do love that we do that for, uh, you know, the Beast of the Bay event when we have the Chalice every year. We have an artist and really keep it focused on them. That's been one of the best things that we've done, I think, to specifically highlight our events and try to make it a little bit unique. Yeah, I definitely missed missed out on that one when they did it. Um, in terms of like artist adoration, I think at bigger events, you would only really see that with like the really big artists. Like I know Therese Nielsen has like a big following and people would go nuts over her stuff. Mm-hmm. Um like obviously when, when rush started coming back to do a lot of that stuff, people would just come up and be like, yo, like, cause he was just such like the OG name in magic cards. Yeah. yeah, And is still at this point. Yeah, um, man. But well, Chris, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, so what, Chris, when did you get your start in collecting signatures? And like, how did you get into it? What, what drew you to that? Yeah, Probably I was thinking about it and it was, I can't remember at what point, but I saw 
somebody with their playmat with a bunch of signatures and stuff on it. And I was like, that's kind of sweet. Like, and I asked them to like, well, we're like, what's up with this mat? Like, it's all customized. And they're like, oh, I just like was at Gen Con and got a couple like just drawings and stuff. And I was like, that's pretty baller. So I started <laughs> primarily with that. I picked up one of those Calsa Brain play mats and just the next Gen Con I went to spent. I, I remember I started with uh, Rebecca Gay. And she signed it upside down by mistake. So the rest, every other signature and drawing was upside down on that playmat, which was amazing. So I started with her and just every event that I would go to and I would travel to different events with different big name artists. Uh, I'd filled up that entire mat. Uh, I remember I got, let's see, Garfield was on there. There's a bunch of other ones. And the very last one I got on there was Chris Rush. I think the event before he passed away. And yeah. that's when I actually filled that mat up. Nice. So I've got that frame set up somewhere. That's going to stick up. I'm on my second full mat at this point, just because it's so much fun just to like talk to Pete, the, the artist and just no, absolutely like ask him just like, yeah, literally just draw whatever you want on here. I do not care. So then how did you translate or how did that morph over from getting meeting the artist, having them sign your playmat doodle on it to getting play sets of XYZ cards and filling out entire decks with signed cards? I think like how did you make that leap? Right, right. Um again, it was I'm trying to make the connection of when that would have happened. I I think it was just like while I'm spending the time with these people, I might as well have these other cards staff get signed. It was like really a side thing that huh. really started getting kind of nuts when I started going into old school, just because a lot of the, again, the passion behind it is the art and just having these actual artists be accessible to us and just to be able to go up and talk to them and like ask them questions about like, okay, like, Again, if, if you talk to Jesper about anything, he'll tell you all kinds of stories about the starting of the magic, like art development and stuff like that. Just great stories, horror stories, whatever you want to hear. Um, and it's the same with any of the artists. I remember one of the coolest events I went to was one of the uh, the Horde events that Cam did, I think like two years ago in Seattle. And they had basically the almost the entire old school roster. You could get all 40 of your dual lands signed and I think I actually did for Jason Happel. He had like a full place out of CE duels and we got them all signed there. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, you just literally go down the road, talk to like yeah. Rob Alexander, uh, Drew Tucker was there. Anson Maddox was there. And it was like, I went across the country basically to do that artist signing. And then, Oh, I guess play some old school. Sure. Those guys are great. I mean, they will sit there. They'll tell crazy stories. They'll hang out. A lot of times they're just sitting at their booth and they're doing stuff and they're bored. And they just, I mean, but the, the history that comes off of them, understanding what it was like back in the early days. I mean, it's just wild. It's wild hearing those stories. Hearing yes, we talk about artists missing deadlines. And so he had to like fill with his art or he'd contact Anson anytime and be like, Hey Anson, do you have anything right now that you can throw in for this that could even remotely resemble what this <laughs> art and they'd be like, yeah, I've got something for you. And that'll be that. That's why there's so much Anson art. And he was just, apparently Anson was a machine back then. Um, so it's kind of wild. It's wild to hear these stories. It's, it's kind of great to be able to understand, um, you know, what came before. And these guys are just a treasure trove. And that's, that's part of the benefit. 
Man, I wonder, did, like, could you could you guess an, an old school card that Anson probably filled in on? I'm going to guess, like, I'm going to guess, like, Llanowar Elf. That seems like a card that just, like, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem like it, like that was his job to do. Not no. Not that it looks like rushed or anything, but I don't know. I think if I were to guess a card that was like, "Hey, can you whip up an elf real quick?" Sure. This elf is gonna have like a Mad Max looking eye patch <laughs> and, a and, like a, and a mohawk and and look like yeah, he just got out of like a mosh pit. Sure thing. <laughs> he makes He makes green man. When I was seventeen. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that Anson is a little colorblind, which is why a lot of his colors are really interesting. I see them compared to like regular vision, which is interesting. Mm. Wow, that's sweet. A unique gift for yeah. artists. And you know, the art back then, it had to all be small. So it had to be scannable, which is why a lot of the original art pieces are tiny pieces of art um, versus, you know, a big painting, which is what you see now, because they can just do whatever with that big painting and digitize it. But the early art was all tiny. I have a piece that's actually hanging in one of our bedrooms. That's it's a massive piece of art that Anson did, and there's a little plaque on the back of it from Wizards of the Coast with uh, a name for a card. Um, and I asked, I remember when I got the piece and I, I got it. I asked Anson about it. He said that uh, apparently it was big to scan, and so they didn't actually leverage it as card art, but it's like sick art. Is it like a um, a landscape or like a creature or? Why with his soul being pulled out? And it's like being pulled out in stages. You can see his like skeletal structure in front of him. And you can see his like essence in front of him. I'll take a picture of that as you. It is the sickest piece of art. My wife oh, that's so sick. Yeah. yeah. And my wife hates it because she thinks it's like super morbid, but it's massive. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried to get my wife a piece of art and it was a dud. Uh, I mean, the art is awesome, but the, the, the gift giving experience turned out to be a dud. <laughs> um, so I got a big print of Morphling by RK Post. That was for me, had it signed. And then um, on Post's website, he's got some like non-magic sci-fi stuff. And so he's got one that's a mashup of a cat and Cthulhu you know, the tentacled Lovecraftian monster. Mm -hmm. It's called Cat-Tulu. And it's even signed, you know, to Beth, happy birthday and all this stuff. And it was a total dud. Beth hates the print. She thinks it's too scary. And I ended up having to hang it up in my office because she didn't even want to look at it. Oh, that, I mean, Cat-Tulu sounds kind of cute. I, guess I know. I thought it was a little too far. Huh? I know, man. Hey, you know, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. Seems like a good idea to me. <laughs> None of my artwork has made the wall. I mean, it's all been vetoed. So I've got a separate wall with like magic art, but like my, but my taste in magic art tends to be a little dark. So I've never, I've never made stuff that I snuck up onto the walls. It's nothing like too super obnoxious. There's like the Therese Nielsen Guru Mountain and like a, a sweet poster I got from Italy. That's like a mashup of some old school stuff. So that's some stuff there. Oh, oh yeah, man. I, any lands you can sneak in. I, I went weird. I've got Maze of Ith on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> like right when you come Welcome in the front door. The maze. <laughs> right. it's, it's in the hallway when you come in the front door. You can check it anytime you want, but you can never leave. <laughs> like the grossest so art that grosser and grosser as you keep looking at it. Just like, <laughs> why are they crawling through intestines? Okay. Yeah, it actually looks like a sperm inseminating into an egg, I think. That's what I see when I look at it. But <laughs> not gonna be I mean, able to no surprise there. Yeah. 
getting all didn't mean to get all reproductive on you there. But. <laughs> the grossest Rorschach test. <laughs> yeah, you failed. <laughs> You're a creep. <laughs> That's what it says. So, like, does are, are you guys like working on any specific play sets or any specific cards that you're chasing right now? I know. I'm so curious to hear what's like some super elusive rare shit. Yeah. Well, I'll. So I'm chasing. So Quint Hoover. Um, mm. Round. I. I just didn't have a lot of cards to get signed. I mean, there's certain things I just didn't have on hand. Like I didn't have Beta Rapid Gods back when I was a kid uh, to give it to him to get a signature. So now that I'm like so deep into old school, I've been chasing a lot of cards down. Um, and a lot of, there's still a lot of Quinn cards that I'm still trying to get my hands on. Yeah. Quinn's one of the ones that's just like, the price has just made a lot of stuff inaccessible at this point. He's probably one of the bigger ones. Um, Rush did enough stuff that it's it's pretty accessible, but with Hoover, it's it's pretty wild. Like ball lightnings are like north of a hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah, I mean, people didn't bother to get like Felwar stones signed. <laughs> Felwar stones, right? So now there's not that many signed Felwar stones floating around. Right. Uh, Manner is insane. Now, with with his signature in like specifically, of course, since he's passed, we can't um, we can't get our hands on it anymore. But does the value of his signature, do you think, have anything to do with just how aesthetically pleasing it is? It's like he like he, a lot of the times he signs in gold. It's this very beautiful, you know, script like signature, uh, like always on the side of the card and stuff. Like, do do you think that sometimes like the the quality of the signature itself or how beautiful it is um, determines, or is it mostly just rarity scarcity? I mean, there's definitely some really, really terrible signatures. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some signatures that you get on your cards. And you're like, man, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. And you're like, well, um, but uh, yeah, his signature is definitely beautiful. That's, that is accurate. And uh, it's it's nicer than a lot of the other early signatures. Um, but it's just, I think right now, the biggest piece is the rarity part. There's mm. just so many cards that he did that are early on that are just so rare. And um, like, well, Beta Rathagod's a great example. I mean, heaven forbid you're trying to look for an Alpha Rathagod. I'm trying to get a Beta Rathagod right now. I don't even know what the price is. Interesting. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah, sure I Alpagator is another. That's an interesting question because, like, you have the the full playset of him to Torak, so you got four different signatures on there. And I think is Everingham's the next most expensive one, and it's probably like half the price. I know hers is like going up at this point. Yeah, so, yeah, Susan Van Camp's uh, not signing anymore, um, so her signature has definitely gone up dramatically. Yeah, Value. but it's not like. $200 for a common one right. or whatever from Fall Fires. Right. Yeah, it's a good point, Carter. Um, I can't think of anybody else's... I mean, of course, Rush's signature puts has grown and grown, especially... And, and again, a lot of these have grown a lot because of old school, just because that's how you pimp the cards at that point. Yeah. That's, right. That's the, I mean, that's how much more pimp can it get than an old card that has a signature? It's about, uh, I mean, some people tell you to alter it. That's like the next level beyond just uh, beyond the signature. But if you're going to make it, it's, it's the same. Are you signature collectors? Are you purists about alters? 
like 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 if you get a card altered, does it have to be altered by the artist themselves? I think you might be asking the wrong two people. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing so, that Myth is a big fan of alters, and also I have done a lot of alters for him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Chris will. I mean, I'll I'll tell you that Chris probably does some of the best alters in the game um, when he's got the bandwidth to do them. It's. Uh, I'm a big fan of alters for old school cards. I do tend to like the artist to have altered them. Uh, that's sort of like a preference, but a lot of times it's it's less important than just having a great alter. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of alters out. There, and they're just exceptional. Um, so I, you know, if I can make the effort to to track somebody down and do a special card for me, that's great. My best and my favorite old school alter is probably. It's probably a Korean. Well, no, that's that's a vintage altar. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'll say this then, then because it's probably my favorite altar that I own. Is it's a it's a Korean brainstorm that I play in vintage that Chris altered, and that Rush signed the last time I saw him at GP Oakland before he passed. I had asked him like three or four times before, and uh, he had this thing about not signing cards that he didn't do the altar for, which is totally legit. And uh, the last time I saw him, I was hanging out with him and uh, talking to him, and he was doing some signatures and some other cards. And I just kind of threw it in there and asked him, I was like, you know, you, you've not wanted to sign this before. What do you think? Would you be up for signing it now? And, and he agreed. And that's probably like one of my, my cherished cards now. Uh, that's so cool because it's kind of like the combination of two different efforts, right? Like you got, you got the card fully realized from two different sources. It was Chris who like put the paint and the border extension. I, I know that you do like amazing alterations and border extension stuff. And then you get the, uh, the original artist the signature on that's that's pretty sweet that's a pretty unique experience too just like because in that situation like you both know the guy who did the altar and like you've had that experience with chris rush at that point so that's like a much more personal like experience and is that much more valuable for it why did um, you why did you get out of doing uh, alters chris or not out of it but why did you scale it way way back so i was doing so when I was like really, really scaled up, I was doing a lot of the Star City events and stuff. And it was a blast. Uh, just burned out eventually. A combination of just like ramping up, changing jobs, and kind of hitting a wall where I was like, well, okay, like I see what's happening. I'm kind of burning out on this. I want to mm -hmm. do the responsible thing and like really dial it back and just do stuff that I'm for people that I'm really close with. Um so I ended up just doing stuff for like guys in our, our play group and just different stuff like that. How, how long had you been doing it before you scaled it back? Let's see. Let me think. I probably started in 2010 or 2011 and probably like, probably did it pretty strong for like four or five years. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who are um, getting a hold of altruists to get their cards done? Like, what's the most useful language to use? Or let's say, like, like how much how much direction did you like to hear as an artist, as opposed to them being like, you know, micromanaging every detail? Um, I would rather they ultimately just be really clear on what you want. Like mm. if you want us to just go nuts with it, then don't come back afterwards and be like, well, I kind of wanted this and that. Just like 
okay, <laughs> I asked you four different times what yeah. you want. And that's just, that's like that with everything, but people would get like more kind of clenchy because like for a lot of the, the time I was probably undercharging for what my time was worth. And that I think that probably com, like contributed to because to why I kind of scaled it back. It's like, okay, like if the way the market in the altering thing was going, I couldn't really charge what probably I would have needed to to really stay in the game. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of advice for getting stuff done, yeah, just just be clear. Like, luckily, alters aren't as popular as they used to be at this point. So everybody kind of that's still into it are, are really into it for like the fun of it and not just like getting caught up in the, the, the moment with everything else. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of the best experiences I had were people that were like, yo, I got this ridiculous idea and I need you to execute it. Like I painted a, a Jace, a Spanish Jace, the mind sculptor, at an event where I replaced the runes with tacos and put a sombrero on him. And he was Jason taco sculptor. And there were like ingredients floating between his hands and stuff like that. So yet just <laughs> like the people that would uh, like have a blast with and have fun with it, or just like, let me do whatever. Cause they they've seen my other work were always a good experience. Yeah, I totally agree. I think whenever you're dealing with, but, but practically any commission service having to do with an artist, like I think a little bit of structure on your end is fine, but you get, you get something, you get the best result when you just trust that person to yeah. look at their portfolio, look at the other cards that they've altered and know that they have a distinct style and then just put it in their hands. I say, because at least from my perspective, like an artist knows so much more about art than I do. Right. So you're going to do the best job. Yeah. I can't imagine what it, you know, when you get into that cringy situation where they're like, ah, yeah, well, I kind of wanted to be like this. And you're like, well, it looks like that instead. So get <laughs> fucking Bob. <laughs> what what else can you say it's like well shit you're shit out of luck man like you know what i feel really bad so i'm gonna spend three times the amount of time on this project that i originally no get the fuck out of here (laughs) i think when people choose artists too for alters they should really pay attention to not just what that person's work looks like because lots of people will choose alters based off of like a Twitter picture and Instagram, but talk to people who've had the alters done, talk to the alters themselves, get, you know, understand what they're into. Some people love that creative piece. Some people just want to hammer stuff out. Yeah. And if you get the wrong alterist and you're trying to get them to do something creative and they're not a creative person, everyone's just going to be unhappy in that. I, I guess what, what I've done to kind of, uh, or I guess my path has been, I, I don't send out anything to be altered that's like high stakes. So like I wouldn't send out, you know, my P9 or other valuable, you know, personally valuable cards, but I, I like, if I'm going to have something altered, it's usually more like a, like the revised stuff or other white bordered stuff. I, yeah. I generally like white bordered alters anyways. Um, but just kind of as a weird aesthetic thing. I was but that way, say, like, like if something gets fucked up, I mean, it's like, whatever, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And that kind of, if it's fucked up, it might even be cooler, you know? Right. 
I was going to say, I forget, I think it was Carter that asked, like, do you prefer the aesthetics of just like old school high-end stuff versus altars? I think there's diminishing returns on when you see like Alpha and, and I think I've come around to this too, where I'm, I'm way more hesitant to paint on like unlimited dual lands than I used to be. Yeah. Um, Cause like you get revised duels and you can paint, those are some of the best cards to paint on. Like, in terms of just like accessibility to high-end dual lands right you can and, brighten up those dull colors yeah 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 um yeah. but when you're looking at like a, a beta mox or something like that you don't want some idiot to paint on it and like it'll look pretty cool and you can get it altered and stuff but in terms of just like the aesthetic behind it like you want it to look old school you want it to retain that original like really nice magic aesthetic and okay, cool. If you can get like the actual artist who originally did it to do something baller on there, then that's the the, the obvious next step in a lot of situations. Did you ever see uh, that Yoda Lotus? The Yodas? Dude. Oh my god. I've seen some really obnoxious lotuses. Oh, that kills Dude, me. I would I would love to get my claws on that Yoda. On the Yoda? If anybody's if anybody out there's <laughs> listening and got it, get a hold of me. Moss, I, Moss, I took you for the guy who would want the uh the brony moxen. Oh man, I saw those. I saw those and I thought about it, but I did not I did not think about it for very long. <laughs> Back when altars were were really big, you could you could go real deep on like doing an eBay search for like anime girl anything. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's there was a joke when I was at doing a lot more of that stuff. Just like, man, if I really wanted to make money on this, I would just paint like big titty anime girls on islands and just go hard nonstop <laughs> on just that. Just huck them, yeah. yeah. 50 just power, power by the hour, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Myth, are you getting? Do you have anything that you're working on getting um, commissioned for signature, or because uh, you mentioned using services earlier, or uh, that you you have commissioned for alteration? I've got a ton of old school cards that are out right now for signature, and you know, COVID is trying to yep. sort of shot everything in the foot. So I've got cards that are just kind of out. And I feel bad for the the guys who make all the effort to go out and get those signatures because they're just getting hammered by people who are kind of demanding updates. And there's, you know, there's no update to give, right? Like, right. Yeah. They're like, they're in my office. I'm not going to my office. So if I could, so if I could just play dumb for a minute, Myth here, could you just kind of bring me up to speed on what those services are and what those handlers do? Yeah. There's a handful of guys with solid reputations coming out of uh, Facebook and what these guys will do is they'll basically corral all the cards and they've got the relationship struck with the artist. Sometimes they represent the artists and they'll handle everything on that side. So they'll take the card, the, art, the cards out there. They'll go over there. They'll manage all the relationship. They'll get the signatures done and they'll melt back to you. And you pay them shipping services. Plus you pay them, you know, the fee for the, the signature, which a lot of times there's a little bit of a split between them and the artist. Sometimes there's no splits. Sometimes these guys just do it just for the artist, which is kind of cool. Um, and some of these artists are really hard to get a hold of. Like you just, you can't get a hold of them. Uh, if it's not through this, this person who's got the relationship, who's handling all the signatures, there's just not a signature you're going to get. Uh, so like an example, an example of the guys that are at a lot of the events are like Tadeen, uh, Schuler, Frazier, you know, et cetera. Those guys seem to do a Anson. Those guys do a lot of events, but like who are some of the more uncommon yeah. or rare to find artists that are represented or that work through these handlers? Like, if you want a signature from Weber, 
you can yeah. try to mail directly to her. You can send it through like Mark Ronowitz, and generally he's the guy who'll handle that piece. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a guy who handles signatures for um man, why am I blanking on his name now? Who's the crazy racist artist? Harold McNeil. Oh, Harold McNeil. Yeah. He's got one guy who drives out to his house like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, this really? Guy, nowhere. This guy drives to his house, gets everything done. His name's Jack. And uh, I mean, if you want a signature of Harold McNeil on your cards, Jack's the guy who's going to do it. There's not really another solution for that. No. So it's kind of, I mean, it's a little bit like that. It's a little weird, but uh, but some of these guys just have these established relationships. They've known these artists forever. And uh, you know, they manage all these pieces. And, uh, I mean, your cards are safe with them. They, they do this as a business. Yeah. Not, some people tell me, oh, you know, I'm scared of mailing cards because I want to just be able to, to hand it to somebody and get signed. That's, that's, I mean, I think that's a little crazy because you can track your signatures, you can track the cards, you can get signature delivery, you can get the card delivered nicely and you can, you know, you can ensure, and these guys do it for a living, so they're not going to screw up your cards. Yeah. Totally trustworthy. Starting uh, last year and going up until COVID mania, I'd kind of gotten into doing the uh, letter, you know, doing my own letter mail away packages to artists. Um, which I found to be a pretty fun experience, you know, researching, finding their mailing address, reaching out to them, writing a letter, packaging up all the cards, you know, putting together the self-addressed stamp, stamped package. Um, yeah, it's and, and I had, like I said, I'd, I'd been pretty active with and had a package going in or coming out at all times um, up until uh, quarantine. But I, I, I got into that um, when I was in fifth grade, we did a letter writing project. We had to learn how to write a business letter template. And I wrote a letter to a Kansas City Chiefs football player and sent him a card. It came back signed. I'm like, oh, holy shit, this is great. So then I stepped it up another level. and I sent a letter to uh, one of my 90 sports heroes, 80 sports heroes, Joe Montana. Business letter, sent him a 1991 upper deck football card, came back to me signed. Ooh. So, and I guess I still have that card in a, plastic hard screw down shell so like i kind of ported that you know being uh ported that into the modern day here and with putting together these packages and and just writing a letter to the artist and tell them you know what my favorite cards are that they did or you know just some little nugget you know what i mean um and i've really enjoyed that part i, I do want to get back into that eventually but um that, that's a pretty fun way to engage with the artist too kind of cool yeah yeah, I know Therese Nielsen would um, be, like, really responsive. She actually has, like, her own, like, notepads, like, customized notes that, that she would write you just a bunch of information on whenever you got stuff back from her. Mm. Um, so there's there's some artists that, and I mean, to be fair, like, who wants to engage with a bunch of fucking weirdos like us? Uh, there's some artists that engage a lot more, and that's cool one way or another. Um, I had a weird question. Not so weird, but we <laughs> oh, here we about, go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> uh, we were talking about Harold McNeil, and I want to get your guys' perspective on kind of separating like artists' individual personal politics with how you perceive their art or like desire a signature. Like, I know McNeil is like one of the bigger names. Uh, I know uh, Nielsen had some stuff go down where she had some political stuff. Uh, come up about her and people were on her about that some polarization there yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm pretty undecided on how i feel i haven't because in 
it's like, do you separate your perception and enjoyment of their art with their personal political beliefs, basically? And then a step beyond that, do you choose to take any kind of personal action, whether you're buying cards or getting signatures or like endorsing them in any way? Yeah, I remember Jerry Thompson, the magic player, kind of famously when he was he like he scribbled the on his force and he blacked out the art. Yeah. It's Therese Nielsen force of They were just these like black squares to like kind of take a stand. Yeah, people were writing on their guru lands and stuff like that. It was it was a big thing on Twitter for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I guess I'm more agnostic on it. Like I don't, I kind of separate politics in my hobby because hobby is a thing that kind of gets me out of the world of politics and bullshit. So I, I don't, uh, I don't cross the streams as it were. Um, I have some Herald cards and I'd like to get some other shit signed to finish play sets, et cetera. So I, I really put the blinders on and, and really just have a hobby centric focus on it. I mean, politics aside, and I haven't done a deep dive. I'm like passingly familiar with some of those situations, but I just, it's not in my nature to really do too deep of a dive on that and, and get all outraged. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I got more information, perhaps my perception would change, but I'm going to choose to <laughs> keep, uh, a certain blissful awareness and, uh, like, and I, and, I'm, and I still I need two more art so much. Like, yeah, and I, and I still need two more science over libraries. So once I finish that, maybe I'll reassess. <laughs> then you think it's dead. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, that's hypocritical, but I don't give a shit. I like, I like his art. What was that? Well, uh, Chris, what, what were you saying? Just a oh, moment. I was just saying like Sylvan library is like one of my favorite cards of all time. So like separating like his artwork, like the, the seventh edition COPs and a lot of stuff he's done. is just so insane. And but then it's just some of the stuff that you find out about him and other people. Some of the stuff is so invasive and kind of toxic that it's hard to. I mean, I don't know. Worry. I don't know this guy. I've never talked to him. So I, who am I to judge? You know, I mean, some shit can go up on, on the internet and who knows, you know? Yeah. His, his Facebook page though is publicly facing and it is, I mean, you read it and you're like, well, okay. <laughs> like, really? yeah. yeah, like I guess you're pretty out there with your, but I am lost. I'm with you hundred percent. I, to me, magic is an escape. It's an escape from reality. It's escape from stress. You know, I'm playing it to hang out with my friends, to drink, to chill out. Well, I, I'm not looking to incorporate any of the stress regular day world to that, that scenario. So I, I try to keep them separated out. Um, and you know, I, I kind of leave it at that. And try not to let those two intermingle. Otherwise, I think I just, it would bleed into everything, and I wouldn't have any, you know, call it release from reality. You'd just be able to reset mentally at the end of the day. Yeah, I wonder if the dial was turned up a little bit more. Like, what if the card, like, invoked prejudice, was like, un- what, what if it did what Underworld Dreams does? It was like actually a playable card, and it was like even more in our faces. Um, if there would be more of a stand, like I don't think people would boycott like playing the card, but I mean, you know, that one is like so especially egregious. Um, me, I'm inclined to that individual money, um, but I, 
I, I certainly respect the opinion of, of those who, who wish to keep those things separate because I think that's appropriate. I mean, isn't it? Both are, both are valid for sure. Isn't it astounding that that art made it past like all the approvals and got signed off on? And that did, like, that's the part that blows my fucking mind, dude. I'm like, how, like, how you had like people getting on your ass because like the, the unholy strength was too satanic. Like how, Oh God. Yeah. But there were, there were millions, there were millions of copies of unholy strength printed and print run on legends. It's way smaller and it's a rare and nobody's ever going to play a four blue spell anyway. So like it wasn't even one of the early printings, right? Like this, the game had been around for what, a couple years then. And people playing it, it was known. I mean, it wasn't like it was this is the first printing we just throwing this out for the first time. Our bad. Like they they they've been around. This is this is a subsequent printing, and that art made it pass, which to me still was just mind boggling. All the copies were in the garbage. That's why nobody knew knew it existed or were mad about it. Yeah, it like you're right. Exactly. Like the 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 Italian version, right? Yeah, it it like made it even past that. Unbelievable. Cool. Yeah, I, 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 I guess at the end of the day, like you, you know, people, you want to, you want to pick and choose. I, well, I choose to, I, I want to pick and choose where I'm going to make a stand on things and, and uh, act on things, and and uh, that is an area where I do not do so. Right. You know? I guess, yeah, I guess that's kind of the point, and that's sort of, I suppose, what Wizards was doing in that moment. They were saying like this: the art depicted in this card. We're we're not going to choose to associate this with anything in the real world, you know. Like these individuals on this in this art, they're like ghosts or phantoms, like some of Harold's other work. So we'll just you know, we'll just keep it separate. Yeah. And to their credit, I can't think of any other examples that are to any degree that offensive in any of the more recent sets. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Or even the older, even the older cards, I mean, there weren't, that's like, that card is like the highlight. <laughs> yeah, that one, that's that the one bottom is, of the barrel. That one is the big one. The so, bottom of the pit. Yeah, I mean, it's Earthbind and... Earthbind is another one. <laughs> Earthbind is sick. <laughs> I don't and know. Hoover's like, listen, I got a spicy one for you. <laughs> we can keep them separate, but if you own a signed Invoke Prejudice, I just, I shake my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was there at uh the last gp seattle and uh and got subsequently kicked out really yeah he showed up uh he, he showed up uninvited uh and uh and then was asked to leave the wow yeah know that. that's the only time i think he's been in events and got his own well, I would I would have been the dude chasing him down to get his Sylvan Library signed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave! Stumbling Don't leave! Come back! Hands full of him to Torax, like new. No. <laughs> Boss is running after every dealer trying to figure out who's got invoke prejudice and stuff. <laughs> oh come on now! <laughs> you can't prove nothing, dude. No, it's the Sylvan. The Sylvan, I get that. The Sylvan's the big one. I mean, and that art is sick. I mean, it is. A lot of his art was sick. I was I was yeah, like scoping out uh, we, like what a neither white tattoo would look like because like his black and white work is ridiculous. 
And oh, then okay. I think that's about when I found out some of the stuff. I'm like, I should probably not tattoo that. Well, okay. you mentioned those COPs, I think, or is it from Tempest that he did? Yeah, or whatever? Those, that suite of COPs looks yeah. awesome too. Amazing. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of looking sweet, um, the subject is like sweet art and customization and stuff like that. Uh, we probably all have, I think, was it Shaman Ben or somebody that I forget who did just like, Hey, post like your favorite card. Like don't care if it's cost wise. Don't care if it's a draft common that you got during your first draft as a four year old. Everybody's got like a favorite card. And I was going to ask you guys what yours is. Favorite card. Yeah. Like favorite card you own. As like a collection. Yeah. The one you'd never get rid of. That's like your very favorite magic card. Yeah. I can start with mine. I can show you right now. I got it in a pile. An altered oh, card. Yeah. We're talking an altered or signed card. No, just just I. It could be, and that that's why I ask because it goes along the sign of like customization. But like a card can be customized by whatever memories you have imprinted on it. Oh, that's I true. have one. I have one. <laughs> Carter's like got it. He's like, okay, I got nice. it. So mine, mine's this one. I this is the dragon I got in my first event. It was the Eve Bash in 2017. There we go. And I showed up like out of nowhere. Jaco had invited me at some point. And I remember you you won a set of I those are my second favorite cards. There you won a set of Urnum Gins that Dominic did. Yeah. And, those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um they they asked like, okay, like who has the most power in their deck? Because that's how you won the set of Urnums. And most most uh, creature power yes. aggregate creature power yeah, no. creature power and shane was like yo i got like 76 and everybody's like oh shit can anybody beat that i'm like i got like 112 or something <laughs> i was just i came back with like fire elementals and shivan dragons and i went four two with that deck so it wasn't total garbage um and then the the prizes were what I picked up those Urnums and the Shivan Dragon CE that I got signed by everybody. I have my Beef Bash card too. Just yes, the, uh, the there you go. The beefy script sprites. The beef sprites. I don't know favorite card. Like favorite, my favorite card. W- when I've been asked this before, like just mechanically is fork but that's not like i'm not talking in terms of like i have a fond memory of it or it's just right, like right, that's right. my favorite mechanically card, card yeah, mechanically like, like fond memory like like myth said like you yeah remember, right? I, I yeah I, you're, you put me on the spot a little bit here but i'm kind of racking my brain like the i mean in terms of like altered stuff altered stuff the the recently um i sent some stuff off to tadeen to do and he did a soul ring for me he does insane alters Um, if i can find it i'll dig it up but uh he did a really cool soul ring for me with a jism gin on it a particularly thick with two c's necked uh jism gin and he also did a really cool uh jam day tone for me Uh, and let's see if i can find that I'm, i'm haphazardly thumbing through my binders. And of course, of course, the viewers at home can't see this, but this is the tome. Oh, yes. yeah. It's got a little lower of the pit, or, well, a medium-sized lower of the pit in the corner. Yeah. Like, the idea being, you know, he's reading the book for some ill-gotten magics, Ooh. right? There was a there was a lower of the pit soul ring. Was that Marty's? That was, like, floating around for a while. Pretty sick altar. That he's got good stuff, too. Well, that I've seen a soul ring. 
Did he? Was it a soul ring with a Lord of the Pit on it? His gallon strip mines are absurd. Yes, especially the dread white one. Yeah, those are good. I have, I have, uh, I have several altars that I was given kind of at the beginning of my old school career that have really stuck with me. I'm lucky enough to have two islands that you did for me, Chris, oh. which I always, always play. They're just beautiful, flawlessly done, border extended, unlimited islands. I've got these counter spells. I hate are... those counter spells. <laughs> oh, dude, these are the Unrecognizable. best. They're I so... Hate, I hate those cards with a passion. <laughs> these are the fucking best. These are these were done by Down. They look like uh, they're, oh, they're bats, one of each suit, God, and I they're just things. they're like completely unique. Nobody has counter spells like these. They're so abrasive <laughs> and annoying, and they're just. I feel like they completely sum me up. Like, in a mess. It's bad enough. It's bad enough having my spell countered, but to have it done with a butt ugly copy of the spell, it's, it's just so like doubly offensive. I know it's such a tilted card. <laughs> Something about doctors that you're just like, oh, that yeah, I want that. That's bad. <laughs> oh well, so it's worth talking about Dom's altars because his early stuff was just mad. Like he has these pink lightning bolts. Yeah, <laughs> just prime against your eyeballs. <laughs> legendary i mean they're just, dude, they're just you just gotta go for it though these uh dude these jacks i got i mean they're they truly are my most prized uh possession they're so good what do you got Myth? my so my very f- like favorite cherished card this is gonna sound hokey but it, it's it's the first rare that i pulled out of a pack yes it was, it was, i remember it was an unlimited pack that i got my hands on and that my rare was a nightmare and I've had that nightmare forever. It's nice. Melissa um, Benson signed it for me, and I've got it now, like sitting in a, a hard, t- hard case. That's All excellent. Because that, that card, man, that card, when I cracked that pack, that was it. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. It just sucked me right in. And that what, was that card in particular. That art has such like staying power. Like anytime you ever look at that card, you're just like, this is like badass. Fantasy, awesome. My deck was trash. It was literally my was to play as many swamps as I could, so that I could cast the biggest freaking on earth. <laughs> what? He had, he had terrors, and so he would just like lose when I cast nightmare. <laughs> what? Ed- what edition did you crack that guy out of? That was out of an unlimited pack. Nice. Oh, amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Oddly enough, uh, the first pack that i ever of magic cards that i ever opened was a starter of revised and portending into the future uh lord of the pit was one of my rares and i saw that art and i was just like you know i mean when you're like how old would i have been like 12 12 or 13 i mean when you see something like that at that age you're just like holy shit (laughs) like (laughs) this is this is evil and awesome that that was the tipping point moss you would have ended up Energy if it wasn't for that card. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is the the aforementioned uh, thick thick neck run, running back fat neck Jism Jen here. Oh, yeah. The, the listeners can't see it, but too bad for them. You can see it. You can see. You can see my altars in, in numerous top finishing deck lists scattered <laughs> across the internet. <laughs> 
Carter, uh, speaking of finishes, we should, before we wrap up here, touch on the end of the quarantine cup. Oh yeah. That was awesome. Um, and throw a little, couple shout outs where they are due. Yeah. So we had a, um, um, a live stream of the finals of our quarantine cup where, uh, Lorian Elliman, um, defeated case from, from Nashville in a, in a finals. It was like an Esper, uh, aggro deck versus, versus rug. And, uh, I think Bob was the one who did most of the heavy lifting, yeah. getting them in their own like zoom room or maybe where room and then streaming that to a video room in God, I sound like such an idiot in discord. Uh, discord. And so it was such a blast because we all, all the Lords like hopped into the discord to watch both of them battle. Some national guys were in there too. There was like tons of heckling. There was like a little bit of, uh, of impromptu commentary. But I just, I mean, I was sitting at my desk, just banging my fist at the table, being like, draw the Sir Angel, Sir yes. Angel. Yes, no, that, that was the key play in game two, where he had like a soul ring and a ton of men were like, we're ready for that, Sarah, where is it? And he slapped it down and the crowd went wild. Oh, that's, see, that's why playoffs, I like, I know tons of old school tournaments have, um, and it's like, it's like, you don't want to reward like the top finishing players too much. Right. Because that's one thing that playoffs do is it make, it sort of makes it about winning, but God, like cheering people on in the, in the semis and the finals is also so fucking fun. Like there's, there's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so satisfying. And, and, and it, I mean, I would have been more than happy to see case win. Um, you know, he's a capable player and it was awesome to see rug have a good finish. But I found myself just kind of getting swept up in that homerism. It's like you got to have your Chicago guy take down the interloper and 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 defend the club, you know. Well, Zoo has a history of coming in seconds since the What was the prize for the second one? Like, was there was there another? It uh, was um, it was a Jack, it was a Jack Nicholson. Here's Johnny altar. But what was the card? I don't. Was it a terror? Terror. Was it a terror. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no door prize, no repeat of the Moss Glory? <laughs> no, the door prize. No, I didn't win the door prize again. Uh, I think the, there was, no, it was, uh, Vel- right, didn't Velasco win? It was like a clone. He did. It, it was a clone or a doppelganger, I forget, but it had the two twins, the Red Room twins from uh, Shining, the twin girls. Was it doppelganger or clone? One of the two. I think, I think it was clone. But either way, doppelganger or clone, in this case, someone actually deserving of the prize got it. Yeah. Instead of like, somebody <laughs> who completely sucked out. <laughs> got something they absolutely weren't supposed to get. Hey, I played that greed in my sideboard. That altar's sick. It is. It's very cool. Yeah. And it's apropos because when COVID mania was hitting hitting the fan, I went out and stocked the fuck up <laughs> on toilet paper. <laughs> now, but I'll admit I got the last couple bundles of it just in case any of my homies here, you know, went tits up and well, listen, up the brother. <laughs> I'm down to like three or four rolls. So oh, shit, now I, I, I'd good. send you to Walgreens, but they're all looted up. Yeah. <laughs> now I got a different problem. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, there's just no toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah. Shout out to Lorian for, for taking down Q cup too. Awesome. And, and shout out to, uh, uh, 
Mr. Punts. He, he doesn't like to use his real name, so we'll refer to him as Mr. Punts Johnny for running Punt. it. Yeah. <laughs> the artist formerly known as MTG Beers Punts. Yeah, the, the quarantine cup has been a super fun, super fun series. It's been awesome. I, I think we're all looking forward to more of them. Just like, it's just yeah. something to, like, cause we don't have that outlet to either hang with like other people around us or play or whatever you want to do with it. That like this yeah. is the outlet at this point. And yeah. I think somebody posted in the thread, just like, yeah, we can play whatever. Like, I don't care that much. I just want to like have that social experience again. Just like, yeah. With everybody. Yeah. The, the gameplay, you lose a little bit in the gameplay. And especially when I'm trying to play Carter and he's on a three minute delay between his video and audio. Several potatoes between him and the, his deck and your, <laughs> yeah. your camera. But uh, yeah, it's well, listen it's, now that I don't have you know 10,000 volts going, back, <laughs> <laughs> it. it might work a little bit better. I'm, I'm all for these, these webcam uh tournaments because it's otherwise, like, I'm only the only chance I get to play with you guys when I'm in town. Yeah, speaking of which, you I mean, there you had mentioned something about maybe moving, is that? And, you know, we don't have to get too personal, but is that anything like, is that still on the table or are you pretty much going to be hunkered down out West for a yeah, while longer? Good, man. It's just, it's getting delayed because of basically everything getting delayed with COVID. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but still on the table will be, uh, there'll definitely be over the next year, there'll be more opportunities for me being in Chicago. Gotcha. I be maybe once every couple months or so. So that'll be awesome. Yeah. I wonder, you know, we're supposed to be quote opening back up uh tomorrow actually and so i just i wonder if we're gonna have maybe not like a big event but if you know when are we going to be able to get together with like a half dozen dudes i don't know i bet i'm asking that rhetorically i don't know that anybody has an answer yet but you know maybe by midsummer i don't know well yeah, i have a tattoo gonna be appointment already so it's gonna be touchy just because like everybody's gonna have their individual like like stuff to be aware of like i got a yeah. six old asleep absolutely yeah, it's yeah. Just like how much do i want to roll the dice on xyz factors yeah so. there's a lot there's a lot of a lot of factors but i, I don't know we shall see Indeed. well it's uh we've we've been at it for a bit here about 80 minutes so i think we're gonna we're gonna hunker it down thanks for getting on here and giving us some education on the altars and on the signature stuff guys oh for sure man. pleasure yeah, guys, that was awesome. That was really insightful. Just in regards to, um, I like how some of the altars, it's like, it, you know, some sometimes they can come from artists, sometimes they come from just like close friends scribbling on stuff or people like Chris who are certainly professionals in their own right. There's just like so many ways to customize it and make it your own. And it's just all about endowing objects with meaning, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's the beauty of, uh, of old school is it's the card base doesn't change, right? So you can just take your cards and make them even better and better and better. Yeah, and like, they're already so laden with meaning and history and nostalgia and just all it, that stuff. Yeah. So true. Ah, man, such good stuff. It got, you know, the, this conversation got me kind of excited for because sometimes I, I get kind of low on that collecting aspect. I sometimes like look at these cards and I'm like, nah, I don't really give a shit about Yeah, that. you just see function and just like, okay, how, like, what is, what cog does this turn in my deck yeah. Sometimes, sometimes sometimes I do kind of get wrapped up like oh this just draws three more you know individual you know rectangle units for me <laughs> ah man the collecting that's the true joy because because a win a win only feels good for a, a fleeting moment 
a loss feels bad for a long time, but it's <laughs> but it's that collecting element that's like that constant source of joy with the game for me. It's true. It, it, it keeps you up, and uh, you know that's what happens. Even when you're not playing, you're just having a game. I don't know. It's a gift. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Good to earn. That's a good good way to good way to end. All right, boys. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Have a good evening. Uh, stay safe and well. Sure. And I will talk to you all soon. Are there anything else? No. Thanks again. <laughs> all right. Good night. Later.